morning we're going to be looking at um, a question that Paul is replying to in the Corinthian church surrounding um, meat sacrifice to idols. So, you know, when it's Christmas time and you're with a family, maybe it's in the living room, and you're all opening your presents and uh, you're watching your siblings open presents from the grandparents or the parents and you're looking on and thinking, wish I had that present. Well, that's kind of how I felt when I got um, this passage on the preaching rotor. When I saw the heading, food sacrifice to idols, I thought, oh my goodness, how am I going to bring application to this? However, the more I got into this passage, the more I saw the intricacies of Paul's writing and how he often brings multiple threads um, of wisdom running only through a matter of lines of scripture. And so this morning, I want to look at one of those lines of thought in more detail. But let's read together first. Uh, Gillian can hand out some Bibles. If you are visiting us here today and haven't got a Bible at home, then Gillian's going to hand one of those out. And please take it home. It's free for you to read at your leisure. And so we're turning to, in these Bibles, it's 1149, um, but it's 1 Corinthians chapter 8 in the New Testament. I'll just wait until you've all turned or swiped. It might also come up on here. Apologies for like the, the little thing that like my title went all squished. That's because of a formatting thing, so I'm really pernickety about things like that. Anyways, right, let's read. So, um, now, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know sometimes do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods or many lords. Yet for us there there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. Amen. (laughs) Why don't we pray again? I just like to pray. Calms me down and hopefully blesses us. So let's just pray. Father God, I just thank you for the richness of your word. And Lord, I thank you that... um, Uh, Paul has written this letter to the Corinthians for not just them in their time but also for us in our time God and I thank you that we're able to take from this and that we're able to draw from your word and apply it to our lives and Holy Spirit we just invite you here now just ask that you come and that you open our hearts and open our ears and open our minds to the things that you want to speak to us this morning pray for your challenge and your encouragement this morning God 
Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So when I was praying about this, I felt that God highlight um, the first verse, knowledge puffs up and love builds up. So we will look at three aspects of love in this passage. So love builds up, love draws us closer to God, and love is sacrificial. So just for a little bit of context in this passage, Paul is replying to a question that has been raised by the Corinthian church. That, that question is, can we eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? Now, often in that time, that culture, meat was um, uh, eaten in the temples and sold in shops. So it was a big issue for them. This is something that was kind of around all the time. Um, It was social etiquette to eat at the temple. So it was often uh, the norm to kind of go and uh, take part in in these kind of, maybe it was meetings or sometimes it was just like parties, but it it was often done at the temple. And so what's happening here is there is a dispute between um, Christians of a more mature faith and those of a weaker faith. Uh, So the mature Christians, um, they know that idols don't mean anything um, and therefore there's no harm in eating the meat that has been sacrificed to them. However, there's the weaker Christians who are more likely of a Gentile background who have potentially worshipped the idols in the past and so they feel conflicted about eating meat that has been sacrificed to them. So Paul is highlighting that although knowledge is is good in terms of knowing God is the only true God, the fact is we have to use our knowledge in love to build others up rather than exercise our rights and freedom. So that's kind of the context in which we're going to look at everything this morning. So when I was um, prepping this, I came across a story about a woman's... uh, flight plan, her journey, um, and uh, it, it really tied in with this passage. And so this woman, she was uh, traveling through an airport. It was on her red eye flight, so she, it was about midnight, and so she was really tired, and she was really hungry. So she thought she'll go buy a box of cookies um, just to keep her going. So she sat down, got her book out, and uh, started reading after she bought this box of cookies. Then a man comes and sits down next to her and uh, opens a box of cookies and takes one and eats one. And she's like, uh, what are you doing? Like, but she reigns the sass in and she's like, no, 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 I'll just let him have the cookie. And then he takes another cookie and she's like, mm, okay. So she thinks I'll make a point and I'll take a cookie. So she takes a cookie. And so they go at this until there's one cookie left and she hasn't said anything and he hasn't said anything. And he takes the last cookie and he looks at her and says, do you want to share this with me? And she's like, uh. So she grabs her cookie and uh, she runs off and uh, leaves this man probably baffled. And uh, as she sits down on the plane ready to take off, she goes into her bag to get her book out again. And in her bag, she finds her box of cookies. (laughs) See, she thought she knew, but she didn't know at all. Sometimes that can be true for us too. We think we know something, but really we know nothing at all. We can pride ourselves on what we've learned, maybe it's in our own Bible studies, um, years of study, or even Bible skill, yet completely miss the point of acting on our knowledge in love. See, as we explore this, um, we can keep in mind the question, are we more like the man in the illustration who although knew the cookies were his, acted in love and shared, Or are we more like the lady who thought she knew and acted from a place of perceived knowledge rather than love? Verse 1 to 2, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. 
Pride can so often accompany knowledge. And here Paul is showing that knowledge can cause Christians to swell and grow in a way that isn't healthy. Like a balloon that grows and puffs up, it can easily be popped. Just like knowledge can lead to pride and unhealthy attitudes and actions. We are shown that knowledge here on earth is at best incomplete and therefore there's no point in priding ourselves on what is partial and doesn't last. There is, um, I came across another quote that um, kind of embodies this. Knowledge is proud that it has learnt so much. Wisdom is humble that it knows no more. Yet we do have something that Paul draws our attention to in handling questions like that of the Christian's dilemma. Love builds up. Verse 2, but whoever loves God is known by God. Paul is directing us to the permanent effects of love, that we are known by God. It's not our knowledge that makes us known by God, but it is our love that brings us to him. The word Paul uses in the Greek is the verb, bear with me, I could die me. <laughs> I feel like Abby and Don, having studied theology, will probably, do you, do you guys know how to pronounce Greek? No. Okay. <laughs> You can probably Google or YouTube how to pronounce that word. But anyways, um, it's used for the, um, the verb is used for the describing this construction of buildings. Um, so in order f to make the buildings uh, strong and stable, you kind of need to dig down, you need to put foundations in. It takes a lot of preparation. And then you build up and it takes a lot of work to make sure that you've got everything in place, the plaster and the electrics, everything. And um, it takes time and energy and effort to build a building. Um, and this is what Paul is describing love building up as. It takes time, it takes work, it takes energy, but love is eternal. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul further highlights the importance of love. I love the fact in my Bible it says in the, the chapter heading, love is indispensable. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. When I was chatting this through with uh, James Juice, who's also got this passage next week, we're having a we chat about kind of illustrations and ways to kind of get our head around this, and we were talking about this being like the context of riding a bike or more importantly teaching someone to ride a bike so the knowledge is there of how to ride a bike if you're teaching someone you know that you have to sit on the seat and you have to pedal and uh, riding a bike and then you have to put your hands on the handlebars and uh, go in a straight line and then use the brakes if you're going to be safe and so the knowledge is there um, but if you were teaching a child to ride a bike you wouldn't just put them on an adult sized bike and then push them off and hope for the best that would be absolute carnage and they'd probably be a trip to A&E but actually riding a bike or teaching someone to ride a bike you would maybe start them off on a tricycle and then maybe start them off then on a bicycle and then put some stabilizers on and then you would parents might disagree with me here um, and then you would take the stabilizers off and put your hand on the back of the um, what's it called seat saddle there we go and uh, I haven't ridden a bike in a while and then you push them around the park until they get the hang of it and they get what's going on and they get their balance and then you let go that's what the difference is between just the knowledge of being able to ride a bike and the love acting out the knowledge of being able to ride a bike of taking someone through it and, and getting them to a place where they can do it on their own. 
So when we think about how we use our knowledge, what does that look like in everyday life? Are we using it to build others up? And are we delving into the multifaceted, there we go, that word again, ways of loving one another? So another angle that Paul focuses in on on this passage is the fact that love as a verb draws us closer to God. As some of you may know, Dave Morrison is part of our central sites. Does anyone know Dave Morrison? Yes. He is a living legend. He's an absolute, yeah, he's a gem of a guy. Anyways, he has gone from an addictive lifestyle um, to preaching God's word in front of his peers and bringing people into relationship with Jesus. And recently, God has been doing some incredible things to him. And um, uh, I suppose over the last six months, his love for people has just grown and grown and grown. And so he's been prayer walking with Scott Robertson, the pastor over at St. Mako, um, just around Tilledrone, his local area. And he's just been chatting to folk and introducing Scott to folk and just being good old Dave um, and inviting them along to church. Um, but he's really been journeying with people and walking them through their, their new faith. And so as a result of this, he's seen seven of his friends start coming along to church regularly. And he's seen three of them give their lives to Jesus and one of them be baptized. And that's just in the last six months. It's just an incredible journey that Dave's on. But when I asked Dave what this had done for his relationship with God, that's where you could see that something had really shifted. He said that he was getting closer and closer to God. You see that as he loves God, he begins um, to love God's people more. It's a circular movement. The more you love God, or the more you, put your relation, uh, more you put into your relationship with God, the more you love God. The more you love God, the more you love his heart for others, which in turn encourages you to love others the way he intended. And so as we see in Dave's case, and in many others, it draws us closer to the Father. So Paul not only shows that love's build up, but that it draws us closer to God. Whoever loves God is known by God. Then further on we see in the passage that it isn't anything else that draws us closer to God. It isn't food that brings us closer to God in this instance. We can see throughout scripture how different people and groups of people try to work for the affection of God. Yet time and time again, we hear of God just wanting relationship with his people to see his heart mirrored in his creation. Hosea 6, verse 6. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. The Pharisees are a prime example of a group of people who knew everything that they could, that they could possibly know about the Torah and, and the law. They prided themselves on their knowledge. Yet when God came to earth through Jesus, they didn't even recognize him. But instead, they mocked him, they disagreed with him, and then ultimately, they killed him. In this instance, their knowledge didn't bring them any closer to God. It, in fact, drew them further away from God. In scripture, we're told to love in a really practical way. Love your neighbor as yourself. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. We saw this embodied in Christ as he laid down his life for us. Therefore, as we act out the same love, we draw from the example of Christ. In turn, we draw closer to God. So when we're reading scripture, are we thinking about how this is going to help us learn more from God or more about God? Or are we thinking about how is this going to draw me closer to God and as a result, transform me more and more into the image of Jesus? And so finally, let's just move on to my final point. Love is sacrificial. 
Um, in 2012, um, New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, it's a very American name, um, announced a plan to ban sales of sugary beverages larger than 16 ounces. He believed it would be a step towards reducing the rate of obesity in New York, as well as improve overall health. The ban would apply to both bottled soda and fountain drinks containing more than 25 calories per 8 ounces. Yeah, it's a lot of information there. Uh, that means that the city's 20,000 restaurants, coffee shops, food carts, movie theatres and stadiums would no longer be able to sell empty calories in supersized portions. Ultimately, the New York Supreme Court struck down the mayor's plan, calling it arbitrary and capricious. Some big words. But not before Bloom Bloomberg's big gulp ban plan, I think it was to do with the name of his big gulp ban plan, became a punchline for late night talk shows and Bloomberg himself the object of ridicule. See, Bloomberg identified a problem, had a strong conviction about how to solve it and believed he had the authority to make his opinion law. He may have been right about the problem, and as his proposed solution might have made a difference, but just because we are right and just because we are in authority doesn't mean that we're going to win or that we even should. See, Paul knew that he was right in, when it came to the Corinthians question, and he probably could have used his authority as an apostle to make the believers in the Corinthian church act and think the way that he did. But Paul knew something that Bloomberg didn't know. And that was that knowledge about what is acceptable or unacceptable behaviour is interpreted by our love for the people that we influence. Paul concludes in this chapter with practical application of how we are both to exercise and restrain the freedom um, that we have in Christ. He doesn't argue that believers are not free to eat meat sacrificed to idols. And notice, he also isn't talking about our freedom offending others. The issue is whether exercising our freedom causes another person in the church to sin. It isn't, about doing um, it isn't about someone thinking less of us because what they see us doing. It's about someone thinking less of Christ because they follow our example. It's like when a friend of mine recently went to a wedding um, and although he didn't have a problem with drinking, um, he was made quickly very aware that there were a lot of people at that wedding who did have a problem with drinking. And so he decided to stay sober the whole night and um, for him it would have been completely fine if he'd had a drink because it wouldn't have caused him to sin but he knew that if he had bought a beer at the bar and then maybe offered someone else a beer then that would have potentially led them to down a really destructive path that could have caused them into a whole lot of trouble. See Paul doesn't really beat around the bush when he uses his language in this section of the passage. Verse 11 and 12. So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. It's pretty, it's pretty simple language, but it's also pretty harsh. But no, he's not saying that we can never do any of these things again. It's not saying that... Um, you can't ever drink alcohol again or you can't ever eat meat again. It may be that it, you just decide to stop doing something or um, in this case, eating meat or in another case, drinking alcohol or in another case, I don't know, um, that you decide to stop depending on the circumstances that you're in or um, sacrifice something for a season while you're traveling alongside someone else and building them up in their faith. Um, 
but love leads us to sacrifice our rights and our liberties. Paul says in verse 13, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. This is similar to what Paul says in Romans 14, 21. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause um, your brother or sister to fall. See, he adds alcohol to that list as well. Um, and so love um, gives and sacrifices, and that's a pretty big sacrifice. Can you imagine just giving up meat or giving up alcohol? I know I enjoy a glass of wine and a steak, so I would find that quite difficult. But Jesus shows us the way to live in sacrifice. He not only gave up his position and glory in heaven, but he gave his, um, up his right to life and liberty. He died for you and me because of love. In verse 8 it says, But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. See, since eating things sacrificed to idols does nothing to um, advance us spiritually, we don't really have that problem, I suppose, in this day and age, but we have um, to then keep in check our response to those who struggle with a weaker conscience around similar issues. For years, even while he was mightily used by God to reach thousands for Christ, Charles Spurgeon used tobacco, so he used to smoke. Um, but the day came when he decided to limit his liberty for the sake of others. One day, as he was walking down a London street, he looked in a tobacco shop and saw a particular brand of tobacco advertised as the brand that Spurgeon smokes. He responded by saying, I'll never smoke again. So what does it look like for us to be sacrificial in our day-to-day -day lives in order that we would build others up and draw them close to Christ rather than down the path of destruction? See, as Christians, it's our duty to pay attention to how our behaviour is interpreted, not just for the sake of our reputation, but for the sake of other person's spiritual development. Remember, we have to build up with love rather than puff up with our knowledge about what we are free to do. And keep in mind that building up the other person will involve helping them understand their secure position in the all-sufficient Jesus. See, it's a process. It will happen in seasons, and it takes time, energy, and patience. But as we unite together and build one another up, draw each other closer to God through means of putting our rights to the side in order that we choose the right way, we see the body of Christ strengthened and built up. Why don't we stand?